The opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. For Saturday night, October 9th, 2021, presented by Anime North, this is episode 52 of the Anime Roundtable Canada. Good evening from Six Points, 10 minutes south of the Anime North compound in the Toronto West End. Mike Nicholas, James Austin, Kevin Ng, Mohamed Shamarki, and Jeff Gregg around the table with you this evening. A quick reminder that we want you to have your say as well, so... Anime Roundtable at gmail.com, old school email. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Anime Roundtable and the archive, animeroundtable.com, for past episodes and show notes. Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Discord. We have a presence, we just haven't uh, marked our territory there yet. This is Thanksgiving Day weekend here in Canada. There's always this discussion as to how come Canada gets to celebrate Thanksgiving a good month and a half before the Americans do. And, and for reference, while it is a major holiday here in Canada, it is nothing compared to what Thanksgiving is typically like in the States. Retail workers usually do live, for starters. Well, they eat a lot more in the States. They make a big deal out of that. Yeah, that too. And the football. And it's like Black Friday Eve, as you were alluding to. <laughs> There's usually an over-under on number of retail uh, store worker casualties. There's that famous, uh, I think, internet famous video of Black Friday in Canada where the Best Buy employees <laughs> are just clapping as the... Uh, shoppers walk in single file and then either before or after they cut to the American Black Friday and people are falling over each other and getting crushed and everything. Uh, and I, I think this. I think that is I think that is fairly accurate. Like I've done, you know, Boxing Day Black Friday shopping before, um, you know, years ago. And, you know, it, it can be weird as far as like people waiting at 5 a.m. in their cars for sales or earlier but I, I don't think it's ever gotten super violent in in canada at least not as kind of um reliably as it can be in the u.s i i think the cold has a lot to do with it i know from my experience boxing day lineups uh everyone has a camaraderie for one another spending those five to six hours in the freezing cold together you know it's like a mini family we're not there to screw each other over we're all there to get the deals you know I hate to tell you, but someone told me a story that's going to put a torpedo in what you guys said. Okay, let's hear it. Well, someone told me that, I guess it was one of the uh, Toronto EB Games, or I guess as they're now called, GameStops. They were doing the launch, I guess, for Metroid Dread, and they had the Amiibos and everything. And supposedly one of them in the western part of Toronto uh, got crushed uh, with people and just was not catching a break. And then one lady got so angry, I guess, because she couldn't get her amiibos or whatever pushed over, I guess, a display or something like that, crashing things over the floor. And I guess they had to ha ask police to escort her out. Someone told me, and I'm like, well, that's kind of intense because 
I just walked in, bought my copy at my location, and had a normal shopping experience. Kevin, you have a thought? Oh, I was just saying how, you know, the stereotype is that we're, we're more civil people. There's also, you know, a lot fewer of us in comparison to our neighbors in the South. Well, yeah, there's only roughly 10% of us. Yeah. In it, comparison. But I'm just like, really? You're going to like run over people? Like, like you're running over people and it's because of crowd rush or like threatening to harm someone for whatever door crasher. Or it's just like, come on. I know it's not all like that. Not every state's like that. Not every city is like that. But ah, that's just all I, I think. think it, I just sigh. I think it took longer for those Black Friday type uh, deals to come to other places because now it's come to Europe, it's come to Canada, and it was more from the States. And remember, it always used to be Boxing Day. That was the big deals day for yeah. us and for the UK and other places. Yeah. And they still do Boxing Day here, of course. Like, I know there are some retailers here that purposely do not do deals on Black Friday. Like, at least some of the clothing boutiques that I patronize, they they don't do deals on Black Friday because they're like, well, you know, that's an American <laughs> thing. Well, yeah, nothing like waving flag. Well, I, I, I get the feeling we will talk a little bit more about this when the American version comes up <laughs> in about a month and a half, like I said. Okay, before we move on and start to get to the real business of the episode and you'll find out the business is going everywhere tonight. I'd be remiss because two weeks ago we forgot to mention these, but some congratulations are in order. First of all, our old friend Clarissa Jewell. How long ago was this, uh, Jeff? It was some months ago, actually. Uh, it was, I think, six or seven weeks. Yeah. Daughter, right? Yes. She had a daughter. Oh. Congratulations to them. I know that uh, she did um, express some some difficulties, but everybody seems to be doing well. I know, Jeff, you've met her. That's right. What's the impression? That's a cute baby. Yeah, it's just a baby. <laughs> but it's great well, to hear. It's, no, it it's, 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 an, hear. it's an attractive and cute baby. There are hey, uh, some that Jeff, don't uh, don't do so well. But Jeff, Jeff, yeah, that's you. Jeff, Jeff, yeah. in your opinion, is this baby the chosen one? Um, it's, it's hard to say at this age. Uh, there's there's certainly some some evidence to to that uh, that uh, theory, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. So so, so we're talking like Omaro levels, Kiriyamato levels. Like what are we talking oh, here? God. Oh, for God's sakes. <laughs> oh, well, you're, you are free to answer the question, Mr. Craig. Well, I, I will say that I, I didn't see a, a spirit of fire lift the baby up uh, as it spoke <laughs> in the uh, voice of its ancestral form. Uh, it was it was fairly quiet when I when I saw it. I mean, that that sort of thing generally happens at birth. Um, so I would I wouldn't be there to to see that. But uh, so far, so peaceful. <laughs> the other congratulations this week belongs to James's sister-in-law and uh, brother in 
in, in the same breath, I guess. You're an uncle again, aren't you, James? Correct. A boy, I heard. Yep. The Austins are known for uh, producing males. Yeah, and make and make life hard for their mothers at the beginning, from what I heard as well. well there was a fight they, between uh, the Chows and the Austins, and the Austins won out because she has uh, they have daughters on their side. So, oh yeah. Well, I think they've also mentioned that Austin boys have a habit of coming out just a little past the due date. Yeah, that's uh, normal. That's a normal uh, thing for us. We how, just like to stay close to home, as they say, right? Uh, how, how long do you guys have a habit of prolonging it? Well, Matthew was actually on the good side because my mom needed to prolong that because it was like this weird series of events that meant she couldn't uh, have Matthew and stuff like that. Oh. And some of it was my older brother broke his arm and stuff like that. And so he had to get a cast off and all this other fun stuff. And for me, I just uh, decided not to come out on time, I guess. Wait, his arm was broken at birth? No, no, I'm talking about my other brother. So because my older brother had to have the cast off, my mom wanted to make sure everything was good with him before she went in to have uh, my brother. Very nice of your brother to wait uh, for all that to be uh, to be settled. Well, supposedly the doctor on that one said uh, he had never got that excuse that the white, the uh, mother couldn't come in uh, to induce the child and stuff like that because their older child uh, needed their cast off in the same hospital. Just... Because my mom was that big and she was going in, they thought she was coming in that day to get induced. <laughs> it was oh. the day after. Oh boy. Uh, well done. Well, uh, how are they? How are they holding up? I think How's they're your... doing uh, quite well. Mm-hmm. They're uh, learning. They're learning the ropes. I, I'm, for, I'm sure Cheryl's doing fine. Matthew, I'm wondering about. <laughs> no, he's doing fine from uh, what I hear and stuff like that. And uh, the apple of his eye, as they say, for uh, the new baby. And as we were looking at it, he's like a little football in my uh, brother's hands, and I got to hold it <laughs> to himself. Well, that's one way to put it. Have you spiked it yet? Touchdown, Bears! Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Well, since we're never good at sports, I don't think we'd be spiking babies. Okay. Well, where do we get started tonight? Well, I heard most podcasts for anime might start with the fall season, right? Well, That's yeah, we are there. Talk. Okay, make, let's, let's acknowledge it. I have not looked yet. I know you have been, James, and... And on that note also, on that same breath, uh, New York Comic Con has been going on over the weekend. So I guess we'll have a couple things to mention there. I have not kept up. I know you guys have. What caught your attention? Well, fall season's always a big season, right? But uh, some interesting ones, like there are some sequels, like the sequel that I'm definitely watching is Restaurant to Another World uh, Season 2, which is basically just uh, food porn and stuff like that. It's like all these people from another world coming to uh, our world to enjoy our delicious food. And it's just great to watch. It's based off a light novel, which uh, seven seas released, which I enjoyed quite a bit. Did the art style for that change? So uh, yes, restaurant? the studio did change from Silverlink mm -hmm. to, um, I think it was 
OLM or something like that. I can't remember which studios do it. But you can see a bit of difference, but it still basically looks the same. The style is basically still there, okay. the same as what it was from what I can tell. They have the classic songs. They have some new songs in there, but it's still, and yes, I double-checked the studio. It's OLM is the one doing it this season, but it still hasn't changed that drastically. So even if you were a fan of the other, I still think you enjoy this quite a bit. Yeah, I, I think that the I think that that series is kind of slept on. Like, I, it's a really fun interpretation of the sort of isekai genre. Like, it's not really anyone trapped anywhere necessarily, but um, there's there's a lot of fun interplay between you know our sort of Earth uh, contemporary food and the uh, the type of food that these uh, fantasy creatures and uh, peoples are familiar with. It's a really fun premise, and they. Uh, they get a lot out of it. Like you'd think, you know, it's kind of a bottle episode, you know, 80% of the time. Um, but it's still a, a really unique and and fun series. It was one of my favorites from a few years ago. And it's like two episodes in one. So the first part's one episode, the second part's another episode, and it's the same thing as it was before. So if you enjoyed the first season, uh, Jeff, then you'll enjoy this as well. And if you haven't uh, checked out, it might be at the local library, Jeff. All five volumes of the light novel have been translated by Seven Seas are and are out now. And that's a fun one to read because it's the same sort of thing. Like the stories aren't that long. So you could read a few stories like after you get back from work and just enjoy something. You know, I mean, put a smile on your face after a long day at work. But uh, there is some other uh, ones. Another one that was interesting in this one. So. Restaurant to Another World Season 2, that is streaming on uh, Crunchyroll again, just to be sure. And then uh, the next one, this one was on Funimation. It's Arena, the Vampire Cosmonaut. And Ali Project is doing uh, the opening. And this one is kind of weird because it's like fake Soviet Union, fake US with different uh, names. But some of the dates for how their space race happened are kind of similar to ours. And they've kind of gotten just after they've launched uh, the dog into space and it getting uh, there for the quote unquote uh, fake USSR. And then they're trying to kind of beat the fake US. And so they want to get a human up there, but they want to make sure they get it right and that they have them on camera so supposedly, quote-unquote, I guess vampires are real, so they're going to try and set a vampire up, because if a vampire dies, there won't be any consequences. <laughs> hmm. And so the first episode is them introducing us to uh, these two characters that are inspired uh, by the first uh, journeys into space, and them wanting to go there, and I guess them uh, getting together in... Uh, the star city of uh, fake USSR. And I guess we'll see where they go from there. It's like, will it end with uh, conspiracy nuts uh, being at their door like 50 years later, because supposedly no one really did go to the moon. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But, but that one I think is an anime original and it's intriguing. So we'll have to see how that goes. And then uh, there are some other ones I know. Um, I know some people I checked out uh, Platinum End, which I know everyone was talking about from the creators of uh, Death Note. And that first episode, I've never read the manga, and I know it's complete and all that, but 
that was a trip of a first episode with a guy that basically has shit life and then it's like, okay, I'm just going to jump off a roof. Angel rescues him and then gives him these powers and he finds out uh, that the foster parents, like his uncle and aunt, have not told him the full truth that they actually probably killed uh, his, it was either his sister and his parents or his little brother and parents. And then it goes on from there. It's kind of messed up, but I'm not sure where it's going to go. Supposedly, these angels, I guess, have selected these certain people that are, I guess, competing to be God or something like that. I'm not sure if Kevin's read the manga or anything like that. I have not read the manga. Uh, I I hear some divisive opinions on Platinum End, although usually that duo does create manga with divisive topics and themes, so not very surprising. It feels okay. like I was waiting for that pin to drop, right? Where it's like, okay, when's the light y- Yagami moment going to happen? When does it go to Kenkaku or whatever? When is the female doormat character going to show up? Like, sad. Uh, but there was actually, it was fun. So that one was on Crunchyroll and Funimation. There were two other ones I'll just uh, mention uh, quickly. One was more slice of life one, and it's on Funimation. It's called uh, Taishio Otome uh, Fairy Tale. And this one actually takes place uh, in the Taisho uh, era. It's based off a manga that had five volumes in Shueisha. And it's it's interesting. It's like going back into the past. And basically, it's this rich uh, son that unfortunately had the bad luck. that He got into a car accident with his mom. His mom died. And then he was saved. But his dominant arm doesn't work anymore so his dad basically says you're useless to me and throws him off onto a mountain villa on in chiba in 1921 and basically he is just feeling bad for himself and so his father also says well i gotta do something for you so he basically buys this girl for 10,000 yen to be his wife and she goes there to live with him and she's the bubbly perfect wife and stuff like that and there actually is a very good dynamic to them even though everything i just said sounds absolutely terrible sounds odd it does sound odd i know it's it it grows like i read a bit of the manga too and they grow together to then want to actually love each other and get married and then given the time period as well since i mentioned 1921 you know that uh, it wasn't in that year. It was a few years later. But remember the great uh, Tokyo earthquake and stuff like that. That right. plays a great bit Kanto a little late on as a story device. Interesting. Okay. But it's interesting, a period drama of that sort, because you look at it in certain things, how they dress, how the way Tokyo and how the way uh, Japan is more rural and stuff like that. It's even kind of like, the 50s and that where they were really not where they are now and it's like right now you just think of all those big skyscrapers the buildings the lights the neon signs right mm-hmm. like how much it's changing and stuff like that oh, that's, a, that, that's a story that's that's history altogether though 
Though I'm sure even Jeff was, I'm not sure how far Jeff went when he explored around Japan when he was there and stuff like that, but I'm sure somehow if you go and look far enough, you can find those moments in some of the smaller villages and stuff like that, even though, as they've said, they're emptying out into the cities. There there are definitely a lot of places in Japan, especially outside of the, the sort of tentpole cities, as it were, that do sometimes feel like they're out of time, uh, which is which is kind of cool. Um, you do see old um, signs, you do see kind of different stages of uh, modernization, especially in the towns and the, the sort of smaller cities. Kind of locked in a time machine. To some degree, yeah. Or at least like uh, a breach in the time machine, like there was a, a <laughs> leak in the, the time fluid or something that sort of spilled out. So, you know, you get like a kind of rustic, um, you know, town that maybe looks like it's from the 70s but there's like a very modern vending machine or the um old timey ramen place will still have um you know a ticket thing which i guess is older technology but um yeah there's a there's kind of a fun mix that goes on and a lot of the um convenience stores are very modern but then your kind of general stores or um uh bookstores will will not have changed at least in the smaller towns well, it sounds like an apt description for a lot of Japan in general, though, where old really does have a clash with new and in many ways coexists with it. They they still use fax machines. Um, that may have, may have changed in the last five years, but um, at least that sort of last check when I was uh, visiting there in 2018 or so, like there, there were still fax machines around. So... Um, you know, people have this vision of Japan as an incredibly forward-thinking, futuristic um, place, but it it is very much kind of a a mix of that technology and tradition, like in in almost every facet of of life there. Well, we've had this long discussion about it on another front: physical media. Still, right? So when you say it in those terms. Really, it doesn't shock me. It's just nice to hear the tweak. Nice to hear another angle on basically something that just doesn't surprise me in any form. Well, now that uh, we've kind of brought up the Taisho era, on that topic, and Crunchyroll too, just want to quickly acknowledge some interesting news this week on Crunchyroll concerning another Taisho era title, and it's a really popular one, it's Demon Slayer. Crunchyroll announced what they will be showing in the near future concerning Demon Slayer. First thing is that I think they're going to do a six-episode series that basically is another retake on the events of the Mugen Train movie before going into the next anime series, from what I heard. But then... Maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but earlier this week, the Mugen Train movie did appear on Crunchyroll. And for some reason, I had been led to believe that the movie would be strictly exclusive to Funimation. But I guess there's just an exclusivity period, and I guess that period is now over. Wow. I think the period was over when uh, they both uh, became a part of the Funimation group. Together. Yeah, that, I so, was 
I think that's an easier thing to do, right? To share some of those Anaplex titles, maybe. I guess that's a more plausible explanation. Now that you bring it up, I, I I was about to ask if the Funimation Crunchyroll buyout would would have something to do with it. You think yes? I'm not totally sure, but I'll buy the argument. And I think it helps too because it gets the show obviously in front of more eyeballs, as we talked about before. But as we said, I think the bigger thing is if they get that on Netflix and get those future seasons on Netflix after they've done their run on Crunchyroll and on uh, Funimation. Get the eyeballs from the early adapters, milk that out, and then go quasi-mainstream, right? And then even that movie, Mike, as we said, they solicited uh, the Blu-ray for that in December, and it was interesting. This one, unlike the whole back period, I think it's same day in December where they're going to have a regular edition from Funimation and then a special edition, like, I guess, with all the bells and whistles and the expense from uh, Anaplex. Mm -hmm. And interesting enough, that's the only one that that has happened to. They haven't done it for Fate or any of their other series, only uh, as as in a normal edition. Yeah, since Anaplex and Funimation have been in the same group, that's the only one where they've done a regular edition through them, which is interesting. Why wouldn't they do it for Fate? Or are we is it are we really talking the mainstream? Are we really talking about popularity here? Fate is popular, but it isn't broad when you compare it to something like Demon Slayer. Are you or correct me if I'm wrong? I think it still would have more popularity than some other shows uh, they've done regular editions for in some of their other catalog. So that's where I'm thinking on the lines of. Okay. That's fair. But it, that's the, I know that's the news that caught my attention from Crunchyroll. And I guess we're all about the mainstream. I admit I have not been keeping up the last couple weeks. It's been Cowboy Bebop come back to that a bit later on and it's not necessarily because of the live action but we will bring up cowboy bebop a little later on and i've been trying to catch up on kaguya sama love is war i only got to through one episode but it's just been a clusterfuck of the last 14 days for me The interesting one as well uh, to check on is Lupin the Third uh, Part Six. And it's interesting that the first episode is episode zero that came out on High Dive. I guess we'll have to find friends who have that. But episode zero is interesting where it's kind of transitioning from part five. He's still in the blue jacket. Then he's going to go to the green jacket. But the reason why it's so big is that um, Jigen, the actor for that, He's the last one of the original uh, actors, uh, Kiyoshi uh, Kobayashi. His his last role is episode zero. And so they made it about him and about Jigen. And then he's retiring, obviously, after that. And then the new actor for um, Jigen is going to start with uh, the next episode for uh, part six. So it was quite a send-off, which not all of them got. 
And uh, it, it's kind of like the end of an era, so to speak, because they started way, way back, mm-hmm. remember, in 71. And this is supposed to celebrate 50 years. Well, you had so. me thinking, now that you brought that up, how often do you see like an animated special to celebrate a seiyu who is retiring? Because when you brought that up, I thought of, I think it was Sumiri, the voice actress behind her from Sakura Wars. They had a special for her when she retired, surrounding the character she played. I know somebody listening out there would know of a couple more instances, so give us a right. I'm really curious. I'm guessing it would be more the long uh, running... uh series and stuff like that from japan that would have those because i think this was definitely a special circumstance mm-hmm. and like that it's kind of like the final change well yeah the there, there's that right? circumstance i think in the case of sakura wars at the time that happened sakura wars was the thing in the business right and and we've had this discussion before there's a panel on this as well i think at anime north or it was lockdown pardon me but I think it's, yeah, I'm just curious. I'm just curious what type of circumstances would bring something like that out. Who, 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 else, who mentioned the high dive thing? I know that we got that in our show notes this week. Was it you, James, or was it Mo who made the suggestion to bring up high dive and Lupin? I mean, I, uh, I, I brought it up just to say that they're, you know, pumping on new content, right? Yeah, we had mentioned it before, Mayor, when they made uh, that license announcement before their uh, actual virtual uh, event and stuff like that, which remember I said, I said, that would have been the kicker that you use at the end as your one more thing. But for whatever hmm. reason, they just had a press release before well, the go. virtual event. There's your, there's your still kicking moment for High Dive right there. Well, it'll be interesting with this part six because it's happening in uh, England and supposedly based on the premise, supposedly Sherlock Holmes' uh, longtime partner, uh, Watson, is dead. And who do you think they're going to blame? Lupin. Oh, great. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes. And who knows, maybe he'll swipe uh, the crown jewels or maybe one of the queen's corgis. Well, it would have been back then. The queen now doesn't have any more corgis. They all died. That we know of. That we know of. <laughs> uh, one of them could have been a data dog. You never know, Mike. <laughs> that makes him even more valuable. Okay. Well, since we brought up uh, older titles, we're going. We're we're just. I think this is how the episode's just going to go. We're just going to try and flow one theme into the another with each of the stories, right? Dirty pair. A Kickstarter. For a dub of Dirty Pair, what's the story behind this one? Like, does anybody know? Or, James, you so know def- this one. They definitely teased it. I know uh, Right Stuff uh, Nozomi teased this, and they kind of got the ball rolling just like they did with um, Emma and Aria in that uh, they put it on some streaming services the day the Kickstarter launched on the Friday. So that was Retro Crush and uh, Crunchyroll. And uh, a lot of it is centering around, if you read the Kickstarter, the first series, 
first series of 26 episodes had never had a dub, so they're going to dub that. And a lot of people, because that was done in the 80s, they weren't sure they had the M&Es, the music and effects for that one, to actually allow them to create the dub. But it sounds like they found it, or they're finding a way that they're going to be able to uh, dub this, and they're going to do it uh, in New York with Headline Studios, like they did with Amenaria. So I think uh, they'll do a great job uh, with that. And I believe as well for uh, that, that uh, one of the original uh, English voice actors uh, is coming back uh, for that one that worked on the ADV ones for the features, the OVA and stuff like that. And that was once it was Jessica Cavello. Oh, so, wow. There's a name did, I haven't heard in, in years. Yeah, she originally played Yuri, and she's going to come back and stuff like that to play Yuri. Now, some of the other ones, obviously, might have to be uh, recast and stuff like that. But I'm sure they'll do a great job, just like they've done uh, with the other stuff. It's uh, interesting. Like The goal for that one was 275000 uh, US. They've already broken that. And different people were talking about how it was higher than their other ones. But they're doing a two-core series to redub, and they're also doing some different little extras and stuff like that, but they're also doing the Blu-ray for the rest of the series. But to get everything, you have to pay 250 US, so a lot more people are probably paying more to get the full Blu-ray experience of Dirty Pair uh, Season 1 with the new dub, OVAs, features, and then uh, Dirty Pair Flash as well. Okay, Dirty Pair so, was a thing. It really was. I mean, it was uh, a benchmark for the really old school fandom back then. I never got into it myself, though. I'll admit that. And I'm pretty sure it's beyond the comprehension of a lot of the more recent fans. But, you know, those of us who are having our midlife crises already, this was the entry point. For a and as they time. said, the original one of the original ones, Girls with Guns type series and stuff like that. Exactly, yeah. That's a good way to put it. And they had mentioned that obviously in the Kickstarter too. And it's that thing of as they said that uh, their actual codename is Lovely Angels and they're going out trying to capture all these bad guys and do all these things, but because somehow something always seems to just not go quite right. They're known as the Dirty Pair and stuff like that, even though they hate that code name. And of course, this was based uh, off a, a few novels. And actually, I think those novels, uh, I have them myself. I'm not sure if they're still in print, but Dark Horse released them. I think they were two novels, two or okay. three novels. Well, there you go. At least, you know there's a market, enough of a market. At least they're, they've, they're, they've exceeded their Kickstarter. There's something going on there. And I think originally there was an actual American, an American comic based on Dirty Pair actually released in the U.S. and stuff like that. I can't remember if that was Dark Horse or who released that. And I forget who the American uh, comic creator was for that. I should remember because the name Adam Warren sticks in my head when you say that. Adam Warren. Yes, Adam Warren, I think. Yep, Adam Warren was the one who drew that. But supposedly that... uh, drew a lot of people in so i'm sure they can get it from there as well which is an interesting cross uh platform type thing remember how we've talked about 
both the West and the East influencing each other, right? And that series is one of the ones that kind of had that back in the day, and you never really thought about it. That's a, actually a fair statement. Dirty Pair. Back to the future in many ways. And it'll be going, I guess, till the end of the month, they said, uh, for the Kickstarter. So there's still time to uh, give money to that if you uh, my... care for it. It's October 31st at 11 a.m. they said it ends. Yeah, well, we're about a third of the way through the month. After all, that's when Thanksgiving is up here in Canada. <laughs> so shall we keep going through our uh, little travel here? I guess our bullet travels for the uh, episode. Are we Other talking new- about uh, the bullets uh, by a certain famous uh, fictional uh, James Bond assassin Japanese bad boy whose creator unfortunately passed away? Is that yeah? Uh, where okay, we're let's let's go there since we're on the topic of old school here. He's not just a bad boy. He's he's uh he's it's like as if God was a Japanese assassin. <laughs> well, and all the ladies love him and stuff like that it's kind of interesting so yeah we're speaking there were a number of passings and i guess the one uh, that was big recently was of course uh takio uh, saito who uh, passed away on september 24th from uh, cancer and he was 84 and there was a lot of outpouring uh, for that but um i think he had said as well that Unlike when we talked about Berserk, he said Google 13 can continue on forever. And the way yep. they set it up, it can keep on going. It's like the most, chap- I think it has a Guinness record, right? For the most manga or comic chapters or one of the longest running in the world. Yeah, I believe it was the longest running. It's it, it tied with Kochi Kame, according to Anime News Network, both with uh, 200 volumes as of April 5th. Gogo 13 has surpassed the record for a number of volumes, 201, July 5th, 202, September 6th. Yeah. And Kochi Kami is a big one, too. Not even so. death stops Takao Saito from... Yeah, he said he wanted it to three. continue with Item. And he's and it literally, the Saito production group is why... So he's obviously trained enough people, and they're able to just pump those out and we saw just a small fraction of that when viz released the 13 uh, volumes greatest hits and yeah the manga is interesting because they have the original stories kind of like we saw in the anime versions and stuff like that but then they brought in real world people and stuff like that and they mm-hmm. saw a bit of that in the viz manga like i think one of the ones they had was when nelson mandela basically asked Golgo 13 to help him out. And he's like, oh yeah, my good friend, Golgo 13, who was with me in prison. And you're just thinking to yourself, holy shit, what the fuck's going on? And you had other real life people like that, those type of stories. And you probably would think the same thing. It's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? What's Saito doing? It's like, no one went after him. So He's doing magical things. That's what he's doing. Oh, you know. God's work. It's kind of like the, even the like if you want to check out some of the stuff, it's like uh, I know on High Dive they have it, but they released it on Blu-ray. That the Google Thirteen uh, TV series that was about a decade and a half ago, and it's still in print. But those fifty episodes are just a great uh, original stories, and they did have some from the manga. Like the second episode 
was the famous one, which is so great. It's about Gogo 13 goes to make the kill, but this cat basically dropped a pot or whatever down so that someone could hear the sound of like him taking the shot or whatever. So the police in San Francisco go there, but they can't definitively prove that it was him because it was such a ridiculous shot. And so they had to let him go. But as Gogo 13 is leaving that episode, he just looks at that cat like, I'm, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. <laughs> and then you had like uh, the movie that everyone remembers for the early CG in the 80s, The Professional. The professional. And yeah, I, mean, I remember had... watching the dub of that. And there were a few uh, rather spectacular deaths in that. I know, uh, yeah, you had I know Jesse uh, the Melon Snake, which I think uh, had reference to uh, Metal Gear as well in there. Mm-hmm. And then you had uh, Queen Bee, which was released by Urban Vision. It's out of print, unfortunately. The professional uh, Google 30 is still in print from uh, Discotech. But uh, Queen Bee, hopefully someone will rescue. That one's a fun one from Urban Vision from the early uh, 2000s. And that one was weird because it was kind of like political thriller and stuff like that. But the president, the president of the U.S. for that one was a Democratic president, they said, but he kind of acted like a scummy Republican. Think about the context. Rather timely, actually. That'll be interesting to see, right? To see how, uh, see how it goes on, because there are a lot of people that I guess are going to keep uh, his memory alive and uh, keep the great work uh, that he started, right? So. Right. It's, well, we, obviously we just made the comparison with Berserk. This isn't really the same thing, though. I mean, I'd like to think I'd like to think Saito understood his time was coming. He was 84. He had cancer. He had a law. He did have a, an ongoing illness. So I think he knew he could start to plan those things out. Kentaro Mura, by all accounts, that was a rather sudden death. I guess more on what I was trying to say on that wasn't uh, in that effect. I guess it's more the thing of usually it stops at that point, but it's almost kind of like Google 13 became more like a syndicated American comic strip. You see in the newspapers, it became such a part of the Japanese landscape, media landscape that they could just keep on continuing on and stuff like that. And he did want that which is kind of rare to see sometimes, right? So No, it is. And, well, I mean, there's a bunch of little tweaks and, and angles we can take on this story. I mean, Berserk was a benchmark in terms of the effect it had on the West, in terms of its fandom outside of Japan. Gogo 13... It had its fandoms outside, but I don't think it had that type of impact. I liked it, personally. Like, whatever I could watch. But it just doesn't come across to me as having that same type of oomph for people outside of Japan. I guess it was because, like, I think, um, and Saito explained it too, it's like, because some people want to think it's like the Japanese James Bond, right? 
but it's kind of like it would be the Japanese James Bond if you had that samurai spirit kind of infused in him, so to speak, right? Has a different gravitas about him. Yeah, but and he rarely speaks. So, oh, Togo was like, yeah, he was a he was just. I'm not totally sure chivalry was a thing with him. He was just a pragmatic character. Give him the money, he'll do it. And he'll turn on you for the right price. But yeah. It's, uh, needless to say, it's been a rough year for uh, Gogo 13. Saito is the latest, but as many know, a few months ago, Sonny Chiba, who played Gogo 13 in, in said live-action movies, he passed away too of COVID. As I said, not the not the easiest year thus far for for Gogo thirteen and the fandom and the universe. We're in the final third of it, but nonetheless, do we want to talk about any of the other recent uh, obituaries? Uh, I think the one uh, we would talk about would have to be uh, He uh, Yamamoto. That's the one you and remember, about. we had talked, Mike, because I had watched uh, the recent uh, films uh, from uh, Mushi Productions that he helped uh, Osama Tezuka mm-hmm. produce and direct and stuff like that. And that was A Thousand One Nights. Cleopatra. And then Cleopatra. And then I, I talked about Belladonna Sadness. I think Belladonna Sadness is the one a lot of people were remembering and that's because as i said before when i talked to you the other ones like interesting uh, looks at anime interesting first forays like he obviously worked on some of the other uh, tezuka stuff that was more uh, children friendly and stuff like that but these were the foray first forays into more mature subject matter and stuff like that so it was interesting how they went at it but belladonna sadness was interesting because as I told you before, Mike, like they really went at it at this source material that if you put it in front of someone and didn't tell them its origins, I don't think they would have told you it came out of Japan and stuff like that. And they probably wouldn't even be able to say that it was made like back in the early 70s and stuff like that, because it's such a, it's a very striking film, very hard film to watch, as I said, because it's very mature themes. And it challenges the audience and you don't get that much. So he, and it was interesting looking at the interviews because they did some recent interviews with him uh, last decade on that. And he was very candid about uh, that time in his career and stuff like that. And being an animator and how it was done back then and how they learned it themselves. So it was interesting. The marquee probably left those first pioneers before we got to where we were right into train the next generation and now that generation is talking about how do we train the next generation right now because they're talking about that issue again right well there's a lot of issues concerning the next generation though and we'll get to that in a few minutes mm-hmm. belladonna was a trippy movie trippy movie that's one way to... i never it's saw trippy, it but that's an interesting trippy, way to put it trippy. is there a streaming option for that I don't think there is a streaming option for any of those ones. Like, as I told you, Mike, like, so Discotech just released last year 
Cleopatra and a Thousand One Nights, which you can get. And then Belladonna Sadness was released by that boutique, uh, like that boutique uh, DVD uh, production company. Remember that Elijah Wood was a part of and stuff like that? So it, uh, what was it called? Cinelicious Picks is what uh, they're called. But the, I had to get through Amazon.com. Like you can't find anywhere in Canada to get that. Mm. Well, you can't find much in Canada these days. But even at the price I paid, which wasn't as bad as you could think of it as, it was still something to get. Like they had really good interviews with the uh, creator, of course, Eiji uh, Yamamoto. And uh, it was really a retrospective of his, of his career, if you want to learn about that. And then it definitely, it's a hard movie to watch for some people. But it's definitely something that'll challenge you and you'll come away with something to think about. It's not your regular animation movie in general. And I say that animation movie, not uh, anime or whatever you want to call it. Like it was definitely a feat of animation that I think stands the test of time. Good legacy then. Okay. Well, there there is one more death, I think, of interest, but Koichi Sugiyama, the composer of Dragon Quest. This is a tough one to really, for any of us to really want to talk about. I know that. I want to acknowledge it just for a few minutes, though. I mean, there. Uh, what do you say about this? It, uh, the music was great. Not totally sure about the beliefs. I I, I want to just play out on not totally sure about the beliefs. He thought that Korean war, you know, war victims were happy-go-lucky prostitutes, uh, famous racist, sexist, yeah, homophobic. I know. Uh, yeah, like I, I, it's, it's 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 all bad. Like uh, and then the other phase he wrote to what was it, Jeff? He wrote to either it was. U.S. House of Representatives or Congress. It was, it was in the, they it was in the Washington Post, but yeah, this uh, nice music, but, but that's about it. <laughs> I mean, and yes, I yes, I, I get. Thank you for calling me out. Maybe I sugarcoated that, but yeah, I get, I get it. Like it, it uh, that was like some. Uh, that, that's some pretty ugly, <laughs> pretty ugly views to have. It's it's kind of like I, he was very old. I get I get that aspect of it, but it's it's kind of remarkable that he he managed to hit all the boxes pretty much of being offensive. Like you know, you don't really get that kind of uh, clean sweep of a of a hand all that often. Like usually, someone at least you know thinks that uh, certain minority groups are okay, but. Uh, he seemed to be uh, all in on the uh, being offensive. Well, it's talking about certain people, right? Like being unproductive to society. And you hear like there's a certain segment of that generation. You just are shaking your head and it's like, what in the world is going on? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's more prominent than people think. And it, it can fester in Japan, like especially his... Um, you know, it, it's not, he's not unique to some extent, like a lot of uh, Japanese politicians will, you know, sugarcoat the war crimes. Um, and that's kind of been 
you know, the way probably since, you know, the 50s. Um, but, you know, he, he seemed to have, from what I've read, he seemed to go a little bit further than, uh, you know, some, uh, some others, like in, in studying um, uh, Japanese art history, which ended up, you know, crossing over with Japanese history. Um, it's, it's interesting, like, you know, the sentiment, um, you know, behind some of the um, occupied Koreans, uh, there was an incident where um, they, the, some of the occupied Koreans were honored as, uh, you know, Japanese uh, deities, essentially, um, which could have been seen as like a positive thing, like, you know, oh, the Japanese are honoring these people. But of course, you know, the Koreans didn't want that, like, they found that incredibly offensive. So, like, I feel like that's a, an instance of, you know, sort of nuance and still bad form on Japan. But, you know, that's that's the usual kind of uh, racism and, um, you know, discrimination and not not really thinking about things uh, that, you know, you kind of expect from um, from, you know, I guess, notable uh, when this happens to notable Japanese people who speak out on this. Um but yeah, he, he's very curmudgeon-y and doubling down on this. Like, you know, don't give these, you know, gays money. They don't breed. That's important, which, you know, Japan has a falling birth rate. Like there's, there's nuance, there's sl- very slight nuance there. If you, you know, squint your eyes and fold the paper and look at it in invisible ink. But, you know, still clearly a very, very sad and troubled man in a lot of ways. Well, like you said, it's see in the original version one era of this podcast, I had some discomfort about talking about some of the xenophobia that Japan has within. And that was the better part of 15 years ago. As time has gone and you learn a few more things in life. You start to see some pretty ugly things, and they're still uncomfortable to talk about. But they have to be acknowledged. That's sort and of I, where that's that's why I want to acknowledge him. And I, 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 I really am happy that Japan is starting to acknowledge this more and more. Like there are very promising signs. Like I think I've mentioned this before, but um, with Japan Sinks, um, the new the new version, they address it really. Um, like it's it's not a you know entire series spanning thing, but it's a powerful moment kind of in the the maybe middle end of the the series where they outright you know talk about um, you know the Japanese racism of. Um, I don't want to spoil too much, but the the fact that the characters, um, some characters are half uh, Filipino, plays into things, and you know you have Japanese people saying, "Well, you know, the, your kids are are a quarter uh, Filipino, so maybe that's okay." And like you know, it's just really addressing it, um, and you know, it's happened in in other spaces in the manga anime uh, world, um, but yeah, it's it's. It's difficult, and I think that you know the nuances of culture. It it speaks to, you know, I know with um, with both Mike and and Kevin, like the Kenshin and Act Age situation. It it can be so, it can be so difficult when beautiful art 
is tainted by by the creator um mm -hmm. and it's it's so hard to deal with and like how you know how do you separate it can you separate it when should you separate it it's it's i don't think there's in a lot of instances i don't think there's easy answers at least from a you know if you look at it for, for far enough back <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting as we're thinking about that mike and jeff it's like looking at outside japan and inside japan how they remembered it's like we're having that discussion here outside Japan, but in Japan, there wasn't as much of that discussion as uh, you were mentioning, Jeff, that they're starting to come to grips, hopefully, with some of their past. But hopefully mm -hmm. uh, one day they can look that and move forward and stuff like that. But it's still a long road, as we know. Well, we, we, we it's in, it's interesting, though, that... Uh, they a lot of them are still more looking at in the positive light without realizing you have to look at the whole human being right and sometimes that's tough to do even on our side it's hard to do because it's like how do you do that do you go completely negative do you also look at the small bright light they might have had it's never an easy answer japan famously changes very slowly and i think that part of that is you know an, an age thing um, I feel that because Dragon Quest is a sort of older series, that's why you have a lot of the Twitter responses being, you know, completely, you know, praising, focusing on the music, not really addressing the the man as much. I feel that if it was, you know, a more, you know, contemporary artist, I, I do kind of hope that, um, that even the Japanese audience would be talking about it more because it would be younger fans and the young people of Japan, although there's still, you know, some of that negative, um, you know, xenophobic, um, queerphobic, etc. mindsets, it's so much less um, thanks to the internet, thanks to changing attitudes. So um, I'm, I'm hoping it's sort of a remnant of just older fans not really knowing about this kind of thing. Two things. One... James, I, I start to think about that last chapter in Pure Invention again, right? How, how fandom has found its way into, into the right wing. At least, certainly the Western white, right wing. There's, there's a little bit more nuance, but... At least far right, I think mm -hmm. that, yeah. <laughs> well, yes. Right. I, I think there's a difference between, you know, you know, I, I'm definitely personally more on the left end of things, but I think that there's a difference of lower taxes and, uh, you know, the sort of extreme uh, far right that we've seen in the sort of Trump and the 4chans of the, uh, mm -hmm. of the world. It's it just, there's a far right in Japan that thinks along similar wavelengths. And that, and... It's more, they're more prominent than people think. You just saw a well-known composer die. Who would have probably been along those same wavelengths. Anecdote. I have an anecdote, and then we'll move on. I think this was a few years ago. On the topic of really being topical. Um, Canada had a World Cup match earlier this week against Mexico 
That match was stopped for a couple minutes because of some homophobic slurs being rained down by Mexican fans in Mexico City at the Azteca. So there's so we know there's xenophobia and prejudice issues that still exist in soccer. Japan, some a few years back, finally accomplished something that they didn't want to accomplish, and that was seeing a game, albeit a domestic league game, forced to be played in an empty stadium. This was, I think, if memory serves me correct, it was the Rurado um, Reds who play in, I think it was... I think it was in Saitama Stadium. During a home match, their uh, ultra supporters showed a banner in one of their sections that essentially read, no foreigners allowed here. Caught the attention of Japanese football authorities and ultimately FIFA. And they clamped down. One match, empty stadium ban. Uh, an entire game was played, and that gained some headlines at the time. It's a really shameful moment for Japanese soccer. But it started to put some of the prejudice up in the forefront at the time. It's uncomfortable. I get it. As I said, we, I had trouble wanting to talk about it when the subject came up in past conversations on this show. And they're still uncomfortable now, but they do have to come up once in a while. But uh, that's the type of week it's uh, been in terms of the people related to the industry who were lost. Okay, uh, let's... Let's move on just a little bit. Something uh, still business-like, but I'd say a little lighter in comparison. Hey, Japan has a new prime minister. Isn't that every year, Mike? Yeah, that, that, that <laughs> seems to be the case. Well, remember, uh, um, oh, no, Abe lasted, uh, lasted almost a decade. And I feel like in, the, in his second Shinichiro uh, Koizumi lasted a, a fair bit, well, too. Koizumi was interesting because uh, he... He lasted quite a while too. Um, I, I think he held the post long, uh, second longest, and then it was he was overtaken by by Abe. So, oh, in like in the last couple of years, I'm trying to remember who who was the prime minister just before that, Suga, right? Yoshihide yeah. Suga forced to step down uh, because, well, he just messed up everything, I guess. It's hard to say what would happen uh, if uh, COVID had not happened to see where he would have been. But yeah, the ball was definitely fumbled on all fronts. I think it was probably on the party front too. And so they're probably looking at like, well, we can just change the leader. That's how we've always done it. And they are the natural governing uh, party of Japan, right? So yeah, they're in the driver's seat it's, regardless. Well, it's... it's Japanese politics, the impression I always get about Japanese politics, yes, it's a single party that who seems to have had a continuous run. I think, I forgot 
when they didn't have it. But the, there was a period where it was an opposition party who was in charge. But it's always but been the LDP. their members used to be LDP members, right? So some of them, they just create their own fractions or create their own well, parties. No, kind of LDP, the LDP has is very factionalized too. And that's, so really it's just a bunch of little civil wars. So the man who emerged as prime minister, Fumio Kishida, who is a former foreign affairs minister, held that post for, for five years, 2012 to 2017. And then he was briefly minister of defense Held a, I don't know. I don't know what the policy research council is, but that's the last role he held before he became uh, prime minister. By all accounts, he is probably a moderate. He beat out somebody who was a little bit more liberal leaning in comparison, and I think his cabinet will contain a little bit more of the center-right of the party. But that all aside, what came up this week also is his words concerning, well, anime. Mentioned he's a Demon Slayer fan. Promised to help boost the income of those who work in the anime industry. That's all he said. But I think the... um, he used the phrase, at least translating to English, I will work to raise the income of people involved in the Japanese soft power industry, such as manga, anime, and movies. Mentioned he was, a, as mentioned, a fan of the Demon Slayer franchise. He's read the manga, hasn't seen the TV series, but he's read the manga. And too busy. Uh, yeah, he is these days. Sort of reminds me of Taro Aso. Two, oh boy. who the long-running finance minister under Abe, he was briefly prime minister himself. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was he one of the drivers behind the Cool Japan Initiative? It sounded like he could have been, but I'm not totally sure. All I remember is that he liked Rose and Maiden. Yeah, I remember Rose and Maiden. I'm sure there may have been others that helped the. Uh cool Japan uh, movement, but it's hard to say uh, what will be happening uh, going forward because when they mention, hey, I'm a big fan of whatever and stuff like that, I, I still wonder, is that them just trying to appeal to the people and stuff like that? And there are other things that are more pressing, right? Especially with COVID and how they come out of it, just like we're wondering the same th- thing here in uh, Canada and in other countries. Well, yeah, and then the uh, always puttering along economy in uh, in Japan as well. And the low well, birth rate, we, we've taught, there's a bunch of issues, of course. I was just thinking, it's like, I think, uh, as we said, two prime ministers uh, ago, they tried to put a shock into the Japanese system, and it was probably still on the slow burn side, but uh, I'm not sure uh, how successful they will be, because as we said, it's always how does he uh, propose slow, to right? Do this? Yeah, how does he propose to help the industry? That's the thing. That I guess that's the first question. Now that he now that he's apparently said this, because I know we would make ideas, but then our ideas would be considered outsider and Western stuff like that. But some of them 
may actually help them and stuff like that with some of the things like the falling birth grade and a few of the other things, but they have to come to that realization on their own too, right? <laughs> no, it's it's interesting. Yeah, I, I I guess I'll buy the argument. Well, he's just trying to appeal to a younger crowd. But as Jeff said too, hopefully the younger generations, once they start to uh, get more power and more rights and stuff like that, hopefully they can take the bull by the horns and maybe get it in a better direction and move the ball even further forward, right? You hope, but... Clock is cheap. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, that's a that's 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 a big part of it here. We we see it happen all the time here. Sure. And somehow he's still gets reelected. I heard I heard you can have an election and basically end up with the exact same thing you had before. <laughs> well, I will, I it will was worth every this. penny we paid, right, guys? We it did was the hilarious. Best. Well, what I'll I got paid. This, I'll say this if. Some of those newer promises actually get fulfilled, then you could argue that it was more worth it than right now. But until then, yes. Your point I mean, is I, James. I feel like we won't truly know the worth of the election until we have another one in like six months. And then we'll find out. <laughs> oh. As I told you, they, it's, it's a tough thing with... Uh, politics where people don't want to talk about but it's something important that affects all of our lives it's a necessary evil and we've seen it not just in our democracy but in other democracies that we need people engaged but they don't want to be engaged because we have these politicians that are just at each other's throats and doing theatrics and people are just turning tuning out because they don't want that it's like they're not listening to everyone, stuff like that. They need to work together, and I'm not sure how you make that happen. Yeah, they need the mayor to smoke crack before they finally find it entertaining enough to pay attention to. Oh, boy. Well, we're, we're some years past that, I'm afraid. But right. as they say, one day at a time, right? And If each of us take a small step and do a little something, hopefully we'll uh, make some and affect change, even though, as I always say, it, takes time right and that's the thing a lot of people don't like uh-huh. that these things take generations to change and make right i mean you know, finger... go ahead Mo. no i was just, gonna... Sorry. <laughs> I was just gonna say fingers crossed that like that change will happen before the uh eglinton lrt is done you know oh for god's oh, sake it's actually yes. almost done, though. just so you so know Mo, that's not somewhere. gonna happen yeah. they're gonna dig all that stuff and then someone's going to be elected. They're going to fill it back up, and they're going to elect someone else. Oh they're going to dig it again, and it'll oh, just be a nice no, little cycle, no, right? Please. The problem is, Dang, the problem is, had, just, I already ranted about Mike Harris like five episodes ago. Yeah, yeah, we. Well, I mean, I, I periodically see the progress going on on that, and uh, we're getting somewhere, and it will be done within our lifetime. Well, we said know. that about the York University subway way See, line. That Remember, happened. And that happened it, after. It, it happened after we went there, yes, but it happened. I think, I think all of this is just a uh, cover-up for the uh, underground drill lobby. Oh, yeah, well. Uh-huh. Well, you know what's going to happen? Like By the time all these shenanigans are done when we talk about subways here in uh, Greater Toronto area, we'll have flying cars and they'll be useless. <laughs> Well, not everyone can afford a flying car, James. 
But and, those and, billionaires will already be in space, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, yeah, fucking Mike Harris. Now I now I now I know now I'm lost here. Oh yeah, the Japanese PM. Okay. Still, it, it, I do wonder what type of help the, is coming to the industry. On that note, also, James, you gave me an NPR nine-minute article or podcast of some sort, something to listen to. We learned about uh, the difference between sparkling wine and champagne. Is that it? That, well, yeah, that's, the, that's what Chris McDonald said in that uh, little piece. Although he started to try and explain some of the popularity of anime and well to use your uh metaphor and chris's metaphor it talks about the upcoming schism about to happen with connoisseurs right you can't call it champagne if it's not from champagne france just sparkling wine but it still might be good i kind of say that so we can sort of say that about anime we talked not, about that before too. It's, right? it's problematic. Like, I it's know. Just, like it was interesting because Chris kind of, kind of expressed that rather rigid thought. If it has at least one non-Japanese component in it, it ain't anime. But then, I think they had a Japanese professor then kind of give the counterpoint. Right. Well, it's a little problematic now because of the way production goes sometimes it has to be like uh, contracted outside of the country and it's just the way times have been we've had these conversations before the production committees and then all and then a whole bunch of middlemen but the only people who but the actual producers not coming away with much of a cut But within the NPR piece comes an interesting suggestion about how Netflix and Amazon may not be totally a bad thing because maybe they're there to cut out the middleman. They're there to cut out the production committees. And maybe there'll be a little bit more of a concentration to eventually give I know there's going to be a bunch of other issues. I guess but it was an interesting, interesting nine minute listen. Sorry. No, I was just thinking, like, as you said, and we talked about that before, and different people have said different things on Netflix entering in. It's like we know they have the partnership with Studio Wit to train uh, some new uh, animators and artists and stuff like that, which is good. But then the question is, are they going to put the money in to get to those other levels? Some of them said they haven't done enough so far. And then that leads to the question mark, is this going to be another Crunchyroll Funimation where they say, okay, this is how this industry works. This is how much the translators are willing to take. So that's what our standard will be. So are they going to think this is the standard where we can be at, right? Even though uh, they could do better. Yeah, or you could, well, when you say, Funimation Crunchyroll, when you, as you said that, I was thinking Osamu Tezuka, The Original Sin. Mm-hmm. Which right? we talked about again and again, right? With, That's uh, with, uh, with Matt. Yeah. With Mr. Mr. Alt there. Well, uh, 
It's an interesting list, and, we'll, and if I remember to put, a, put up a link to that, because I have yet to put up links for last episode, it's been a busy two weeks. But it, it is a good nine-minute listen. I would, at, at worst, call it a summary of a lot of the things we've talked about over the last, oh, how long has this been, pandemic been? A year, year and a half now? I'm pretty sure it's been 46 months. Yeah, we're getting there. But I guess in relation to that champagne versus sparkling wine argument, uh, it was kind of similar. I think, I can't remember who at Funimation had said it when they were talking about the uniqueness of anime and why it was coming up. And they talked about the je ne sais quoi, that the Japanese-ness. And that if you take some of that away, it makes it less unique. And I think there was some of that in that too, but they didn't exactly say that in the NPR. Worth a listen. Worth a listen. And, and, and just consider it another thing to add to the debate. And always remember that this debate is ongoing. Because fandom changes too. Oh, now I know. Now, now I know. Now, now here's my election zinger, Mo. It's just worth noting. I worked an election. So if another one happens, at least I have a chance at a job. Just saying. I got paid for the paid for the last election earlier this week. It, it's good. It's it's good work if you can get it. Okay, well we're um, as I said we were just going through just a few of the things that caught our attention this week. We we really didn't have too much of a plan for this episode, and there's other stuff we would like to talk about, but we're an hour in, and there's other like. There are subjects here that would take a very long time, and I know we can get somebody else to talk about this who is a lot more well-versed on it. So when we talk a little bit more about what China is cracking down on in terms of uh, the types of popular culture its youth can consume, trust me, it'll be a... A long debate, but I do want to to, to talk, get an opinion of someone else as well. So just uh, stay tuned for that in the near future, okay? Although one thing I did want to mention, has anyone seen Squid Game yet? I mean, I think I've heard of it. Is it like that show that everyone talked about that's pretty popular? That like I'm pretty sure every person in the entire world has been obligated to watch at this point pretty much two weeks yeah yeah over the last month i guess and it is from korea so well it's it's touched off an interesting little debate as well james you sent this along from cbc and we like this is nothing new for us but it bears mention go ahead james no it's like uh i guess in mention to it uh we talked about Netflix, right, Mike, and how it's like we're seeing more of those live actions from different places of the world that we normally uh, don't see, like whether it's Japan or whether it's South Korea and whether it's China or other uh, places. 
that have a different language, obviously, than us, and that Netflix tries to uh, translate uh, them, I guess, to the best of their ability and stuff like that. And now it's kind of like anime, where people that are of the native language are uh, kind of looking at it and saying, I don't quite agree with that. And so they were talking, even at the by the end of the episode, the same thing that translators of anime had said is that this is an art form and we're trying our best to get it and translate it in a way that a person in that native language will hopefully understand and stuff like that. And sometimes it works. Sometimes maybe it doesn't work as well as it could. Yeah, we've had It depends on what they put in, right? Mm -hmm. Money or the time and stuff like that, because sometimes maybe they're rushed. I wonder how much of the, like, this is once again, a debate we've had too about translating. And it's always about, for me, context as well. And maybe experience. For reference, this is, I think, the first Netflix series to be popular. Well, first non-English Netflix series to gain worldwide popularity, I believe. Someone can correct me on that. I mean, this is all based on Netflix themselves telling us this, so... (laughs) You take it with a grain of salt, right? Exactly, exactly. Their metrics aren't public. So nonetheless, I I can't think of anything, how many other non-English language shows have gained something on Netflix. I mean, that that, that Money Heist is pretty popular. (laughs) Okay. Touché. Yeah, but but Squid Game is certainly quite the talk right now. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, I don't so. think anything has ever has gotten to the point where you know non, um, like non media focused, uh, you know, news agencies are talking about it. Like I've heard people talk about Squid Game just on the radio, um, here in Canada. So it's it's definitely having, um, it's causing ripples or waves. Mm-hmm. And as I said, the, the, uh, when it comes to the translation, it's, it, it's a, I use the, Maya, uh, the famous Maya Angelou quote when we've had that topic before. It's not what you said they'll remember, it's how you made them feel, or something to that effect, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, as I said, that's the one-for-one one you're looking for. That's the one-for-one right. one translation I think you're really looking for in the long run. And that's why also... you have to be artful. I also wonder, you know, because a series like this where, you know, it is coming out on on streaming, you know, first, and it, I'm not sure when a, a physical release may be down the line, um, but it's interesting because, like, theoretically, because it's all digital, they can make adjustments if, if, they, if, if it's determined that there was, you know, a mistake or something, you know, really uh, misconstrued. Um, so I wonder if, if that sort of thing will happen before uh, there is a sort of more permanent release. Well, that's a fair question. I mean, the streaming is basically no different now than the broadcast version. Remember, we've talked about this before, James, right? An anime may for- have more footage, unreleased footage from the broadcast. Like, like when, I, you, when I, it I comes out on, on home video. I don't Sorry. imagine... Well, they- 
I don't imagine the English dub will change, but the subtitles, I feel, you know, there's a possibility. Like, you know, if the if the people creating who have created the the subtitles really stand by their work, you know, it might stay and the criticism will remain and continue to be discussed, maybe. But if you know, there, I think there is a possibility for reevaluation if they want to. Hmm. I think there is food for thought on that, at least on the Netflix side, because I remember when we or others talked about uh, Evangelion and stuff like that and all the different issues. I think Netflix, it was the Italian version for the dub and the sub. They might have pulled and redid that. But I'm not sure which version it was, if it was both or if it was one and stuff like that. So I don't think it's unheard of. And it'll be interesting to see as we go, as more people, they see something like this. And then is it a flash in the pan or will they continue to explore other things in the queue that are maybe recommended from that that might take them from other Korean dramas or maybe Japanese dramas or maybe even anime. Well, it'll depend, I guess, on how much it matters. How much is it worth their time? I mean, I think that's what it would be in the long run anyway. Right? Because if it's just a... Like, how much can they be bothered? I guess we're talking about it right now. Because Squid Game is number one on Netflix. But if it wasn't popular, we wouldn't be having this conversation. If it wasn't popular, people wouldn't be noticing this, at least enough people, to make it a story, to make it worth putting up on CBC. And I'm pretty sure it's, on, it, it's caught on, on some other news outlets. But damn, I should give it a watch. Wait, you haven't seen it yet? No, I haven't. I haven't. I've been kind of busy. I'll tell you about it after we yeah. uh, hit the stop button. Okay. It's. I, I will <laughs> say the show is. Uh, it's pretty front heavy. So, like, I think the reason a lot of people are talking about it is because they've seen the first episode and that that initial impact of the first episode. You know, left. Are, uh, are the deaths worthy of something of a panel at Anime North? Not really, but like, you know, <laughs> after watching. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> after watching, yes. Yes, go on. I'm just saying, I, I, after watching whatever the stuff you've been watching prior to this, I guess it's different in a way, maybe. I don't know. It's new to, to most people. Like I don't think a lot of people have witnessed death scenes like this before. But, you know, to, to the select few, we have. Well, well, welcome to our world, right? I can say that to people who don't usually watch these type of things. Well, well an anime fan can e- and a Asian pop culture fan can easily say, "Welcome to our world, folks." No, but then, but then that that makes us seem like like the article says a bit snobbish, right? It's like gatekeeperish in a way, where it's like you know we want everyone to enjoy the ultra hyper violent grotesqueness that we all watch. Eh, okay. I, you think you thought that was a rather snobby uh, comment? No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just well, saying it's, it's, it's. No, you're not. It's that's not. <laughs> I'm not from from an article perspective. I'm just the, saying. The, I'm just, I, I, I welcome this with open arms, right? This is yeah. because this is so much fun to watch, and I'd like to see people's reactions. It's kind of like it's kind of like uh, people who read the. It, it's kind of like people who read the Game of Thrones novels, watching people's reactions after seeing the Red Wedding played out 
on the HBO series, right? Oh, exactly. And, and there, because I, there was a lot of tweets on uh, to that effect at the time. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and with Squid Game, we're going to probably get the same situation where by like Squid Game 7, we're all kind of over it. And- <laughs> <laughs> I think there's only going to be one series. The creator said he isn't going to do sequels. So. He has no say in that. That's actually that's Mo. You Mo is more probably on the ball than he thinks. I don't know. That's a sad part, right? You you never know. Like I, I don't know what um what things are like in Japan, but um I know that the I think director of um the Watchmen um sort of sequel. Uh, said nope, one season, and you know I'm sure there will be other Watchmen series, but it won't be a direct uh, sequel. So, you know, it, there could be more set in the same universe. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, you know, well, I, well, yeah. On that note, do you wonder how George, uh, how George R. R. Martin feels about uh, the Game of Thrones prequel that uh, had a trailer drop not too long ago? I mean, it it, it looks pretty nice. I mean, you know. Can't complain with about more Game of Thrones. Yeah, with yeah. like I, again, I haven't I haven't seen Squid Game, but I do think it's interesting that um, as far as fans of um, Japanese media, I think a lot of um, a lot of us have you know are are more used to the general genre, like from um, Battle Royale or something like Danganronpa in the video game realm, or with live action Alice in Borderland. Like it's this it's this kind of Thing that you know takes you know the um, Saw or um, uh, Hunger Games type of approach in a in a unique way. Uh, so I am c- very curious to sort of see the South Korean um, sort of viewpoint or perspective on on a genre that like I'm at least somewhat familiar with. Um, and it's interesting that a lot, for a lot of people around the world, this is their first exposure because your average Joe isn't going to play Danganronpa and then algorithm probably didn't give them Alice in Borderland. So it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. Hmm. Well, I, I think of it more in terms of the continuing impact of Korean pop culture too. Oh yeah, like I, I don't think that this boom of popularity for this show would happen without the K-pop boom. I think they're or, or Parasite for that matter. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I'll give it a watch. It's just, as I said, I've been uh, a wee little bit on the busy side lately. And I do at least want to finish up the uh, other shows that have been on my queue. Like Kaguya-sama, Love is War, on the topic of something ultraviolet. But, well, just quickly, what's on, what's on the cues for everybody else before we go tonight? Mo? Uh, Way of the House Husband just got released, so that's all oh, my Well, cues. more stuff concerning Way of the House Husband. And uh, well, what's the name of that uh, companion series? The live action one? Yeah. I think it's called Way of the House Husband Not as well. Not quite. Not quite, and I keep and the name keeps escaping me, but because it actually features the voice actor, they're like little shorts, but that's been a little bit popular, and that's what I know. That's that's come out with some new stuff in the last week or so, but that's what else is on the list. Mo, Mo, how's how's a little project going, by the way? Uh, it's it's still progressing. Um, still too early to announce. 
I'm probably going to cut like a promo and hopefully we can add that to the episode somewhere in between. But, uh, you know, it was interesting. It's, it's, it's progressing. Editing is a bitch, but I believe everyone knows that. Yeah, well, yeah, well, <laughs> I've been through that already. And I can't say I do a real good job of it. So I understand exactly what you're saying. How many people have you have you talked to? Before, uh, uh, sorry, no. So I've talked to one, two, three, four people so far. Kevin's gonna make it five, and I'm gonna edit it down and release it as like a, a beginning to a, like a two parter kind of situation before like the start and then the end. Um, but yeah, you know, be 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 on the lookout for it. It's it's gonna drop at some point. Well, we'll tell <laughs> we'll talk more about it when when we have a more firm uh, launch date for yep. that. So, well, on that note, uh, on other things to look forward to, let's um, make one entry in the community calendar just before we go. The Japan Foundation New York continues its uh, ongoing series about academic perspectives in Japanese pop culture. It'll continue October 28th, where, where they'll talk a little bit about Cosplay, discovering a sense of self through fandom. And speakers include Dr. Edmund Huff, Frenchie Lunning. There you go. Dr. Frenchie Lunning. Uh, Anybody who keeps up with Anime Academia probably will recognize that name. Uh, Akiko Sugawa Shimada and Diana Tolan. So they'll talk uh, about the subject matter. We're going to put a link to the registration for this in the show notes. We'll have to put a, a bunch of show notes for at least a couple episodes, but we'll put a put a, a link to it here. It will be through registration and shown on YouTube, I believe. But the after it happens, as um, just about every other. Every other talk in the in this uh, Japan Foundation New York series, it'll show up on YouTube again as well. So, James, I know you've seen a couple of these uh, talks. I've seen a couple of these talks. They are they're worthwhile to say the least. So, um, they're a big recommendation if you have the time to watch them. Anyway, any anyone else I want to add something before we go tonight? Because uh, I'm looking at my bingo card. I've blacked out my entire card. So I've said uh, all I want to say for the evening. Was there anything else on the mind for everyone else this evening? So, uh, James, about those Viz acquisitions today. Pretty, ele- pretty uh, eclectic bunch of licenses, actually. Well, is there one that really stuck out to you? A uh, couple did. Um, let me see. There was one. What was that food truck one called again, James? I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, one sec. I'll have to bring it up. Yeah. But yeah, these were from uh, New York uh, Comic Con and stuff like that. So Yen Press and Viz were there. So it's nice to see some of them are coming back slowly uh, but surely. So the one you were talking about was 
crazy food truck. Oh, yes. And that one is only two volumes so far, so they'll catch up quickly. But yeah, based on the summary alone, that's kind of bonkers. <laughs> I also... See, uh, see looking, at, looking at this cover, it has a Ready Player One vibe to me for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. And Rooster Fighter. This is not... This was a... Uh... This one caught my eye, too, because that's one mean-looking rooster. Let's just say that is a cockfight of kaijus, that's oh, for sure, God. given yeah. based on the, uh, based on the summary. <laughs> so, they also um, they confirmed the print release of some of their digital titles that had been coming out lately. So uh, The Elusive Samurai is going to get a print release, and that's by... Uh, Yusei Matsui, who did um, who did Nero, who did Assassination Classroom. Uh, was, did he do Nero? It was either Nero or Muyo and Roji. I forgot which one those between the two, but but yeah, but Assassination Classroom was his last big hit. So hmm. and it seems like it's doing pretty well in Japan too. Like it seems like he just knows how to churn out hits. Like the man doesn't miss, apparently. <laughs> uh, Kuba Won't Let Me Be Invisible is another one that Viz recently picked up for the Shonen Jump app, because it's a Shonen Jump... Uh, I think it's a Jump Plus title, so it's, it's part of their digital magazine, if I'm not mistaken. So that's getting a print, as well as uh, Ghost Reaper Girl, which is the new work by the Rosario to Vampire creator. Hmm. That one's going to be curious because on the Shonen Jump app, by his request, he wants it to be read left to right. Wow, okay. Is he, and that's a the, rare thing to hear. So it, makes me wonder, it makes me wonder about that. Like if he's doing uh, something like uh, Blade of the Immortal, kind of like how uh, that artist worked with Dark Horse to get certain things right in the different orientation. I don't think they, you know, because in Japan, here's the thing, in Japan, I recall it being right to left. It's just that for North America, he wants it left to right. And so, and he's also using a pseudonym for this release. He's not using his actual name. So that's, It's an artist thing, I guess. Yeah. So, of and... course, Vidge obliges that request well they should well and they should if that's their request sounds interesting and just for that reason yeah i so i've i've read a decent amount of it it's it's a fun read so and he the man likes his action scenes too because you know he eventually turned rosario to vampire into an action series mm, okay also well, uh, uh Let's the, see. Is there is there anything to expect from New York Comic Con? Any more that uh, will be of interest to us as uh, as anime and manga fans? I don't remember if the Kodansha panel happened or not. Okay. Well, I'm sure. Let, let's we'll wait to find out a little bit more in the near future. I guess, Cause, right? Because Yen Press did do their panel and they did announce some. They did announce some things. Uh, admittedly, not a lot of it interested me because it was mostly. A lot of oh, actually, one thing did it. Was, one's called Lost Lad London. Nice with the alliteration. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, go through it, and then we'll call it a night. So, uh, oh. 
It's about pretty much about a a university student and a Scotland Yard detective uh, finding themselves into this weird mystery that happens in the London Underground. Hmm. I don't know what to say. Yeah. Just so much, so much out there. Yeah. And so little time. Matter of fact, we should get right to it. Now that you think, now that I think about it. That's pretty much it then. That's all we got for tonight. Well, uh, there's still a lot of other stuff to keep up with, and I'm sure we'll have uh, a lot more to talk about next time. But once again, a reminder where you can contact us if you have any feedback on what you uh, heard this evening. AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com, at AnimeRoundtable, AnimeRoundtable.com. And don't forget, word of mouth is always good, so tell your friends about this show if you think they'll like it. And tell your friends about this show if you liked it too. Probably more important. And leave us a review wherever you're listening to this because any reviews will help us in the algorithm and hopefully show us to others who might be able to stumble upon us. And Kevin, what type of review are we hoping for? Good ones. What, that's it? (laughs) Nothing else to say? Well, you know, the usual, it's the usual spiel, you know. Yeah, four or five stars. You know, or any review, really. But or something, yeah, yeah, yeah something that's a, yeah, something constructive, better. please. The I think that's more important. Uh, huh? I'm sorry? Yeah, the higher the better, obviously. Apple Podcasts, is, I know that you can leave reviews there. Uh, I don't remember yeah. if the others do. I'm sure some of them do. I know Spotify doesn't, like, I don't know. Depends on where you get it, I guess. Yeah. But in any event, uh, let us know you exist. We typically do episodes every other week. Sometimes we'll go consecutively. But regardless, if you don't want to miss out, hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening or watching this to be notified whenever we do drop something new in the feed. So until next time, thanks for listening. Good night from Toronto. And join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable. Well, that wasn't too bad, I think, for something that felt rather rudderless going in. You know what? No, no, we, we pulled it through. James, I, I forgot to mention uh, the World's End Harem anime being delayed till January, even though they have episode one ready to go. Still have time because we're still recording. <laughs> There's nothing like a big titty show being delayed by three months. Yo!